Welcome to another message from Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. You can find more about us by visiting gracewaydc.com or find Graceway DC on social media. This week's message comes to you from General John Tykert, a frequent guest speaker and friend of Graceway. Brother Tykert exhorts us to remember three important qualities when faced with one of life's many mountains. We can overcome through the power of Christ, but it's only as we live with focus, faith, and follow through. Listen closely to this helpful and intriguing message about the mountain from John Tykert. was one of the most memorable days of my life. I was a seven-year-old boy there in Western Washington State and impressionable as young men and young boys are. And maybe one of the coolest things that can ever happen for a seven-year-old boy is to be able to hear and see a volcanic eruption. And indeed, on that day, Mount St. Helens erupted when I was living there in Western Washington State. And I vividly remember hearing the loud explosion, and I then even more vividly remember seeing that huge mushroom cloud that spewed out of that mountain over the course of the rest of that day, and it was impressionable to me. And I remember one single name from that time, and the name was Harry R. Truman. Not the president, Harry S. Truman, but an old-timer named Harry R. Truman that lived at the base of that mountain. He owned and ran a lodge known as Spirit Lake Lodge. And as far as I know, he was the only person to refuse to listen to the mandatory evacuation order that preceded the eruption of Mount St. Helens. Everybody seemed to know that this eruption was coming. There was a countdown every single day on the local news of the size of the big dome that they thought was a lava dome that ended up being an ash dome in the middle of the mountain and how it was just a matter of time before Mount St. Helens erupted. And everybody, as far as I know, listened to that evacuation order, but Harry R. Truman. In fact, he famously said a couple of days before that eruption, that mountain ain't gonna hurt me. And then, sure enough, at around 8.30 a.m. on May 18, 1980, that mountain hurt him. In fact, in almost a second, he was buried by 150 feet of ash and of hot mud, and no one ever saw Harry R. Truman again. And as I think about his attitude, as he faced that mountain in his life, it was filled with denial and filled with defiance and filled with complacency, and in many ways, just the opposite of how we need to handle the mountains that we face in our lives, because we all do. And sometimes those mountains are good mountains. They are opportunities for impact and they're opportunities for influence. Or sometimes those mountains are challenges, and sometimes those are health and financial and relationship and work and career and a variety of challenges that we face. But God very clearly reminds us that we're not just to deny the challenges of the mountains that we face. We're not to be complacent or defiant, just the opposite. We are to prepare ourselves now in order to make the impact 
or to deal with the challenges in a way that only we can as we harness the power of Christ. John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus speaking, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. And in many ways, the devil would try to convince all of us that we've got plenty of time, that we can deny or defy or be complacent in the face of the challenges. And it truly is a spiritual wrestling match that we face as we try to prepare ourselves to engage with the mountains that God has put in our path and in our way as we try to live for him and make the impact that he would have for us to make. Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That the Lord calls for us to be prepared, to work the works of him that sent him while it is day. And we're in the middle of this wrestling match, and truly our adversary would have us to get buried in mud, or to get choked out by ash, or to miss the small, still voice of the Lord based on the explosions that go on in a turbulent world all around us. Truly, he has called for us to make a difference here today for such a time as this. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Or Philippians 3, 14. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We all have those mountains that we're facing. And we can grab on to themes like Harry R. Truman, that mountain ain't gonna hurt me. Or we can prepare ourselves very specifically today by focus and by faith and by follow through. Let's pray. Lord God, I do thank you so much for the opportunity to speak and to preach today. I thank you for the opportunity that you have given our amazing pastor and his wife to be away in Israel during this week and a half period. We thank you, Lord, for the message that you have given to me. And Lord, frankly, we thank you for the mountains that we face in our lives. But most importantly, we thank you, Lord, that we can face those mountains well if we do so with focus and with faith and with follow through. And I ask and pray that you please would be with this message today and help us all to walk out of here when the time is done and ultimately to be able to handle those mountains better because of the time we spent here today under your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Number one, in order to face those mountains that are undoubtedly out there or will be out there in our lives, we need to do so with absolute focus. Turn, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll see an amazing dichotomy in how we can handle the challenges of our lives based on the foundation that we rely upon. Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, again, Jesus speaking. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. 
And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, here we are, Truman, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and the eruption happened and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. God is calling us as we face our mountains and as we dial in or calibrate our focus to make sure that it is all revolving around a foundation of adherence to the Lord and acknowledgement of him as the foundation in our lives. Clearly, Harry R. Truman, not the foundation that he could have used to parlay his life into something more than what happened on May 18, 1980. God would call all of us to not be defiant or in denial or complacent, but if we focus on Christ and we have a foundation in him, then we have a chance to make a substantial impact and deal with the challenges that we will ultimately face. I learned how to scuba dive about two decades ago. I had some time in my life and I figured it was an, inter an interesting life skill. And I signed up for some classes there in Goldsboro, North Carolina. And we took the academic classes and then we went for a dive in a swimming pool. And then we went to a dive in a small lake and then it was time for our graduation exercise, which was an open water dive. And our instructor warned us that it was a bit of a boat ride out to where we were going to do our open water dive. It was about an hour off of the Outer Banks in North Carolina, and it was forecast to be a little choppy based on the weather. And so he recommended to all of us to take a little bit of that uh, anti-motion sickness medication. And everybody nodded in agreement except for me because I'm a fighter pilot. Right. <laughs> I don't need any motion sickness medication. That mountain ain't going to hurt me. And so I scoffed at him and we hopped out to the Outer Banks. We drove out there and we got in the boat and indeed it was choppy and it was warm, which maybe even made it worse. And so 45 minutes out to this great dive site onto a sunken ship, and I was doing just fine because I had the opportunity as we were taking this nice leisurely boat ride out to the dive site to keep my eyes as much as the boat was shaking and rolling and rocking on the sure and steady horizon. Because while the boat may move, there is one thing that does not move and that is that awesome horizon and foundation that God had given us and has given us. But then about 15 minutes prior to the time to dive, it was time to put on our gear. We were just in swim trunks going out there, it was hot, and now it was time because the water was cold to put on our dive gear that included our wetsuit. And I went heads down to put on my suit and my world started tumbling. The world didn't literally tumble, though the boat was rocking, but my mind started tumbling. I quickly snapped back to look at the horizon but I was not quite the same after that. I want you to know that I didn't get actively sick, but I choked it down. And I was miserable the entire rest of my time. I did the dive, I passed, I got qualified in scuba diving, but because I had taken my eyes off of the horizon just for a moment, I was never quite the same again. And in fact, I have never, in the last 20 years, gone back to go scuba diving. 
It just doesn't sound fun to me. That mountain did indeed hurt me. And I learned something extremely important, that God gives us a steady, sure foundation for a reason, in my case, the horizon. But in our case, spiritually, his word and his truth and his presence that we need to keep focused on or our world will start tumbling when the rolls and twists and turns and bumps of life happen. Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And as we deal with the mountains of our lives, where are we to focus our attention? Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3 tells us very clearly. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin with us so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. God tells us extremely clearly that in our race of life, as we face our mountains, we are to keep our gaze affixed on the horizon. The author and the finisher of our faith, looking unto Jesus at all times, because even momentary deviations from that can cause our worlds to tumble and cause us to deviate far from where God wants us to be as we tackle the challenges of our mountains in our lives. So we're to keep our gaze fixed on him. But then we think about that and we wonder what he is thinking about with respect to us. And I find a lot of encouragement in verses like Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse 11. This is speaking about God. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all of your heart. I'm encouraged by verse 11, that God actually has thoughts about us. How magnificent is it that the creator and Lord of the universe and our savior actually cares about us enough to think about us. Yeah. I am marveled by that important truth. And as we think about where our foundation should be, and we think about where our focus should lie, we must be compelled by the idea that our Lord loves us individually so much that he's focused on us and calls for us to gain the peace that only he can give by staying focused on him, all from Jeremiah chapter 29. And then I'm further compelled by the idea that our Lord and our Savior loved us so much that he wanted to fully be able to empathize with our plight as humans as we face the mountains of our lives. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have this 
amazing Lord and we have this amazing Savior and we can come boldly to him with our gaze firmly fixed on him because he fully understands our plight. He has faced mountains like we face himself and he has done all that he can to help us as we focus on him to deal with those mountains in our lives. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Turn to John chapter 4, if you would. John chapter 4. And as you're doing so, I am vividly reminded that it is easy for all of us at times to go heads down in life. Instead of keeping our eyes on the horizon, looking forward and up, sometimes we get dragged down and look down and look back. The truth of the matter is there's a lot of, I call, neon signs all around us that flash brightly to gain our attention, but yet it's just a diversion away from the things that are important where we should keep our eyes firmly focused on. And I love the idea that ministering to his apostles and disciples, Jesus gives them extremely powerful advice with respect to the focus of their lives. And I believe that as he died on our behalf and they took the church into the book of Acts, they very firmly remembered this promise and this charge from the Lord in order for their ability to impact in the situation that they were in. John 4, starting in verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto his life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Christ is directing them, get your gaze up. Don't be looking back. Don't be going heads down, but look out there and focus on the things that you have to do and the way that you tackle the mountains of your life. And in doing so, he directed those very ordinary individuals, ordinary like you and ordinary like me, in a way that enabled for them to engage with the world in an extremely powerful way such that Acts 17, 6 says, that those very ordinary individuals turned the world upside down. If we have the right focus, up and out, staying, looking towards the author and finisher of our faith, then we can very capably and very ably and very effectively tackle the mountains of impact or challenge that we will face in our lives. Face the mountain with focus. Point number two, face the mountain with faith. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, and as I'm reading that to you, turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I want to show you a few things that 
similar to the previous miraculous thoughts about God considering us and focusing on us as individuals, God has an amazing plan for you and I. We need to have faith in that plan. We need to believe that God, whatever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever skills or talents we have or don't have, or whatever mountain we are facing, God has an amazing plan tailor-made for you and tailor-made for me. And I start in Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Before you were even born, God specifically had tailor-made a plan and a purpose and an impact for you. That's pretty amazing that before we came out of our mother's womb, God already had a plan for us. But 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 through 9 is even more amazing. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace before the world began, or even more specifically, given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. We must have faith in this amazing God, if for no other reason, because he loved us so much that he came here to empathize by living amongst us. He died on our behalf, but then he individually focuses so much on you as an individual and me as an individual that even before we were born, he had a plan designed for us. And even before he formed the world, he had a specific plan and purpose for you as an individual and for me. That is absolutely incredible. That should drive us as we face our mountains towards a level of faith, knowing that God is in control and that God has a plan, not just generally for the world, but very specifically and powerfully for you as an individual. We like going on road trips as a family, part of it for vacation and part of it because we're military and we move a lot, which means that we drive a caravan of cars seemingly across country every couple of years. And I believe that the story I'm about to tell was when we weren't moving but going on vacation and the kids were all really young and we had our minivan and we were playing some Christian music as we were driving to wherever it is that we were going on vacation. And we were listening to music like Patch the Pirate or others, and we were enjoying ourselves. And then in the middle of one song, we're driving down the road and all of a sudden we hear Summer, young Summer, yell no in the backseat. We kind of shrug it off. I don't know what's going on back there, but something's going on. And a couple of moments later, Summer yells no. And a couple of moments later, Summer yells no. And then it's finally time to look back and see what's going on, assuming that the kids might be fighting. Your kids probably don't when you're on a car ride. Sometimes the Tiger kids do. They're pretty good kids, but even they sometimes fight even now. 
And so we assumed that Noah was bothering Summer or Tiffany was bothering Summer. And so we asked her what was going on, and she said, it's the song. And I thought we were playing good songs in my car. I didn't know we were playing songs that were bad. And she didn't quite understand what a rhetorical question was. And we were listening to the song that says, is anything too hard for God? And Summer was just answering defiantly, no. She's right. There's nothing too hard for God. But she didn't quite understand that the song was actually getting at that same point. She thought that maybe it was blasphemy going on in the Tykert CD player. I don't quite know. But she was right that there is nothing too hard for God. Genesis 18, 13 through the first half of 14. And the Lord shall say unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child, which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And summer, the answer is? And church, the answer is? No. no. Jeremiah 20, sorry, 32, 26 through 27. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me, Summer? No. Church, no. there is nothing too hard for God. Job 42.2, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. If we're going to tackle the mountains in our lives, to make an impact or deal with the challenges, then we need to be filled with faith that understands that there is nothing that is too hard for God. Right. Right. Similarly, we need faith that is equal to the times in which we live. The circumstances in your life needs a large level of faith that's equal to the challenges that we face in our society or in the cultures and the environments and the milieus in which we operate. Jeremiah 33.3, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God wants, to have, wants us to have such amazing faith that we actually somewhat live up to what he is expecting to do in our lives. Not to pray small, not to expect small, but in the challenging times in which we live, expect and pray in a great and powerful way. Yeah. Jeremiah Lanfear was a layman in New York City in 1857. He was a businessman that around the late summer of that year felt led to sell his business and step out of his normal vocation and go into the ministry. And he felt led that based on the challenges of the times in which he lived, that he needed to do something. And what he decided to do through his church there in Lower Manhattan was to start a weekly prayer meeting for prayer about our nation and prayer for revival. Extremely simple. And he handed out handbills and he posted a note on the door of the church there for the first meeting to be on the 23rd of September, 1857. And all it said was this, prayer meeting from 12 to one o'clock. Stop five, 10 or 20 minutes or the whole time as your time admits. It was as simple as that, a call for prayer at lunchtime for the United States. And in that first prayer meeting in late September of 1857, he started out praying alone and I think it is true that over the course of that hour, three people other than him trickled in and spent a little bit of time in prayer and then they left. 
But then the next week, because this prayer meeting was weekly, there were more people. And the next week, there were more people. And ultimately, they changed from weekly prayer meetings to daily prayer meetings. And that prayer didn't just stop at that church, but spread around Manhattan and up and down the eastern seaboard of the United States and into our nation's interior. And then because of the mariners, the seamen that left there from Manhattan spread to England and to mainland Europe and around the world. All because this fairly simple man decided to put up a couple bulletins on the church and hand out a couple of handbills that encouraged people to pray and to come join them in prayer. He got a note back from an individual that joined them in that prayer at some point in the first six months or so of what was going on there at that particular church. And this is what that note said. I came from India and I landed but yesterday. I have come all the way from that far distant land to see for myself what the Lord is doing in America. I am an Englishman by birth, but my home is in India. We have heard of the glorious outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon your churches, and we have rejoiced at it with exceeding joy. We believe, as you believe, that we stand in the first breaking light of a most eventful day, an era of greater displays of divine grace and the salvation of sinners than the world has ever seen. We need faith that is equal to the times. We need confidence to act, ask great things of God, and we shall get great things. Ask little things, and we shall get little things. But ask mighty showers of grace, and they will be poured out like a flood upon us. We today need to have faith that is equal to the challenges of the times. Yeah. The impact that God would have us to make based on the mountains that lay in front of us. We need great faith and great prayers to demonstrate and activate all of those things that God has waiting for us that are being held back, not because of the lack of his power, but because of the lack of our faith to ask great things of God. And I'm reminded of 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and 15. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and my ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. In order to face the mountains in our lives, we need to have focus, we need to have faith, and we need to have follow through, point number three. And part of that follow through is remembering the truth that we do not act as we face our mountains alone. It's not just us out there struggling by ourselves. Of course, we've got friends and fellow believers here in church, but far more powerful than any of that is the fact that God himself has promised to go with us as we face our mountains and as we serve in the midst of the challenges and opportunities for impact. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. God is promising us that he is sending us out with his power. And then in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 
he gives us similar words after he charges us to go out and serve faithfully for him. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, or the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Go back to verse 18, if you would, please. In the very beginning of this last charge, the last command of Christ, we are reminded that he has all power. That's great news. And then he goes through what we are to do with respect to the charge that he has given us. And then down to verse 20, if you would. So he has all power. We're to do a bunch of stuff, important things. And then him, with all power, has promised us that he is with us always, even unto the end of the world. We don't just go out there with this charge, stumbling over our own two feet and striving to make an impact without any help. We have the huge benefit of Christ promising us that he has all power and he is going with us always. That should encourage us as a part of our follow through to tackle the mountains that God has placed in our way. And if we are to make a difference, then we are to stay connected to him. John 15, 5, Jesus speaking, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If we stay connected to him, then we can bear a whole lot of fruit. We can tackle the mountains that are in our way, that we can use the challenges and flip them into opportunities for impact. All of those things we have an opportunity to do. But if we don't tap into him, if we don't stay focused on him, if we're not empowered by faith in him, and if we don't stay connected to him via our follow-through, then we can't do anything that matters with substance with our lives. That is a stark contrast and a reminder that our follow-through must be connecting and staying connected to him. And then we're to passionately yield to his sufficiency. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. No matter who you are and what you've done and what your skills or talents are or what your degrees may be, that you don't have enough sufficiency to face the mountain on your own. Christ is our sufficiency, and we must firmly rely upon him. And in doing so, we must follow the things that he has directed for us to do that help us to stay connected to him and his sufficiency. And those include things like regular and faithful prayer. They include things like regular fasting. We tend to skip over the prayer and fasting and jump right to the prayer, but God directs us to fast as well as a sign of faith in him and a denial of the things of our flesh. We must stay connected to him by prayer and fasting and service to him in specific ways and reading the Bible and worshiping in a local church. Those are all ways that we stay connected to him and his sufficiency. I had an opportunity when I was deployed for 14 months in Baghdad to worship in a church there. About 
30 miles to the north of ancient Babylon in Baghdad in the embassy complex. And it was a great little church there. And in spite of the challenges of rocket attacks and COVID, we had a very firm body of believers. And while we were there, a lady gave me an awesome little devotional book called Strength for Service. That was a book written in 1942 by pastors all around the country to those individuals, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and soon to be uh, Marines and airmen to to, um, encourage them as they were spread fighting all around the world there in 1942. And it's powerful to me because of my military service, but it's powerful to me because those were some pretty big mountains that they were facing in society and on our planet and in the individual lives of those to whom that devotional book was written. And there's a lot of things, frankly, that we think are so bad today that they were facing in orders of magnitude more challenging times than we face today. Some of our challenges are extremely potent, but theirs were too. And so every day, as a part of my devotionals for this year, I'm reading through, and one of them was a book about, or a devotional about, this book, the Bible, and its power. And I just want to share it with you as a reminder of the power of our connectivity to his sufficiency, specifically in this devotion with respect to his perfect word. The Bible, Pastor Hugh Elmer Brown says, is for cleansing for comfort, and for command. The Bible has no equal. It is the moral radium of the world. It is everybody's book. Put your ear to it, and you hear universal man as he sobs and sings, as he sighs and swears and supplicates. Coffins and cradles, glories and glooms, comedies and tragedies, all the ups and downs of human experience are in the Bible. The Bible is the most hopeful book in the world. It is full of the spirit of mourning. It has splendid eyes for the dawn. No literature matches it for pure sunniness. It snatches the crepe from the door of death. It looks for the latent good in bad men. It has a gospel for the gutter. It peoples eternity with singing men and women. The Bible is the most helpful book in the world. It teaches how to think about life feeds the heart with vision and ideal, and reveals the superb pattern of manhood in Jesus. It is a lantern for our feet in any situation in life. It gives valor to our dreams of good and maps the road to civilization of brotherly men. Its religious truths are essential to man's health in character, man's hope in service, and man's triumph in death. It is a telescope through which we can see the living God. What a powerful reminder for us of the sufficiency that we gain by staying connected to our Lord and our Savior through prayer, through fasting, through service, through worship, and through His perfect Word. And if we're to face the mountains of the challenges and the opportunities for impact in our lives, then we are absolutely to benefit from follow-through. And in doing so, please turn with me finally to Matthew chapter 17. And we'll show, up, up, show it on the screen starting in verse 18. Matthew 17, verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, 
and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Jesus is literally telling his disciples that they can work miracles, physical miracles, including physically moving mountains, if they have faith in him. If they stay connected to him through follow-through, specifically described here as prayer and fasting. God has an amazing plan for you, and he has an amazing plan for me. And there are mountains that are challenging, like they were in 1942, or like they were in the disciples and apostles' time. And we have opportunities for impact and to overcome those challenges, not by defiance, or not by complacency, or not by denial, but by faith and focus and follow through. Harry R. Truman is long since dead. No one ever saw him after May 18, 1980. And indeed, that that mountain did hurt him as he was buried on that day through his sense of denial and defiance and complacency. In our lives, we can be buried by the mountains that we face, like Harry R. Truman, or by embracing focus and faith and follow-through, we can, like the apostles and disciples, turn the world upside down. We can have mighty showers of grace poured out like a flood upon us, like happened in 1857, in the prayer revival of that year that carried on around the world. Or we can literally move mountains via focus and faith and follow through. And as our theme for the year here at Graceway says, if we're going to make the difference that God has called us to make, if we are going to indeed live up to the challenges of such a time as this, then we can face our mountains with confidence and expectancy, and optimism, and encouragement if we live by those ideas of focus and faith and follow through. Let's pray. Lord God, I do thank you so much that you have given us the recipe to deal with the mountains in our lives. I thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to live here in Washington, D.C. in 2022. I thank you for those that are watching online for the opportunity to live wherever they are. Undoubtedly, like us, they are facing challenging circumstances. But they also have an opportunity to turn their own worlds like we have an opportunity to turn our world upside down. That we eagerly anticipate faith that lives up to the times so that we can have showers of grace poured out upon us and that we can move the mountains of our lives through focus and faith and follow through. We thank you, Lord, for those challenges. We thank you for the mountain because it indicates that we have an opportunity through this recipe to make an impact for such a time as this and to make a difference through Graceway Baptist Church 
in Washington, D.C., in the United States of America in 2022. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from John Teichert. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. Until next time, this has been Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill, helping you make a difference. Oh,